you've never met me before, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor at Christ Church Madison, and it is a joy to have you all here this morning. Uh, yeah, this is our launch Sunday. So there's a couple reasons why this Sunday is super special, which I'll explain more of that in the future. Uh, we've got Kiwanis and pancakes. We've got white. We're singing songs about saints. It's an awesome Sunday. Um, this morning, I'm going to be talking about our vision statement, kind of what we feel like God has called us to be as a church. And for those of you who have been a part of this church or kind of journeyed with us so far, you may have heard me talk about some of the, these things because if you cut us deep, this is who we are. So you may have heard some stuff, uh, but as the Apostle Paul says about the gospel, and I'm paraphrasing, it doesn't bother me to say it again, and it's good for you. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for inviting us this morning and all of our different stories, wherever we're coming from, Lord. Quicken our hearts to hear your word this morning. Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring the warmth of Jesus' words that he speaks over us. Uh, I pray that it would get past whatever we have up, Lord, that it would go, go in us deep. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, there's a movie that came out several years ago, and some of you guys have heard me talk about this before, called Hugo. Uh, which is this Martin, Martin Scorsese movie, which I absolutely love. It's one of those movies that I just cannot watch without it slaying me. I think it came out in like the early 2000s or something. But the movie is based on this little boy who's an orphan, and he lives in the Paris clock tower at the train station. His whole life is spent keeping up the clock in the clock tower. Any of you guys ever seen Hugo? Maybe? Okay, it's okay if you haven't. Um, and his life as an orphan is driven by two longings. So on the one hand, he longs to be reconnected to his late father. Uh, his father also was a tinker of machines, and he left him this little automaton, which is like an old-school robot. So this little boy spends all his time working on this little robot because he wants to be reconnected to his father. On the other hand, he longs to know how and where he fits in in the world. So this is deeper than just uh, him wanting to be reconnected to his family. He longs to know... What place, what role, how does he fit in in actual life? So here's a quote from this boy. And if you've seen the movie, it probably stuck out to you because it's so, like, pithy. He says this, I'd imagine, this is him sitting up in the, the clock tower looking out, I'd imagine the whole world was one big machine. Machines never come with any extra parts, you know. They always come with the exact amount they need. So I figured, if the entire world was one big machine, I couldn't be an extra... I couldn't be an extra part. I had to be here for some reason. So he was driven by this longing to know who he belonged to, to a person. And then he was driven by this longing to know how he fit in, in a place. He longed for a person and for a place. And I think that movie gets me. I think that quote is like so pithy because it taps into something that we all feel. I know it's, it's true for me. So uh, Martin Scorsese did not write this movie to be a sermon illustration, right? Uh, he wrote it as art, just in general, just to try to put words and a story to something that we all experience. And I think if you could summarize his two longings, both of those come together to be the longing for home. Home is where you belong. Home is where you fit in. Home has particular people in a particular place, right? It's always the two. Where your favorite place and your favorite people overlap, that's where you want to be. That's home. 
again, to quote the talking heads, which I've talked about so far in this, the past four series, home is where I want to be. So we all feel this. I think it's compelling. We feel it with our families, but we feel it because it goes deeper than that on a deeper level, just like it was for Hugo. And humanity has always felt, even if it hasn't known how to articulate it or express it, that we come from somewhere, from a place and a person, and that somewhere has been lost. So we come from somewhere that somewhere has been lost. Um, I recently uh, read some articles from a book that this woman wrote this week, who actually found out is in a writer's guild with uh, one of the people in our community. Margaret, she's not here today, but apparently they do stuff together, which is cool. But she wrote a book about this idea of the pervasiveness of the longing for home throughout all of Western literature, how it just dominates it. So she talks about Odysseus, Don Quixote, Frankenstein, Pilgrim's Progress, and all these, you know, hundreds of modern novels that are about someone being separated and on a journey trying to get back. You guys feel me on this? Think about all the different stories that have a journey home. And if classical literature isn't your jam, my favorite modern manifestation of this is the TV show Lost, uh, which I know Lost is like so mid-2000s, okay? So I'm like, this is a super passe example. Uh, but if you did commit yourself to the onslaught of those six seasons or whatever it was, the entire show, which was very popular, is about a group of people in a place going, how did we get here? What went wrong? How do we get back home? That's why the show is called Lost. <laughs> um, smart people with big, long German last names who are philosophers and think a lot about this stuff. There's one guy named George Lukacs. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. But he says that this is so pervasive in just the art and the stories that we tell that the novel itself is a witness to what he calls transcendental homelessness. There's your word for the week uh, to fit into something. We feel we come from somewhere, and that somewhere has been lost. Now, maybe this week you didn't wake up and over cereal with your roommate go, man, you know what I'm feeling this morning? How can I say it? Transcendentally homeless? Uh, you might not have put it to that words. Maybe you haven't been thinking about Western Lit or Hugo this week, but do you at all connect with this? This idea that humanity, just in general, you per personally, but just in the world, the feeling that we come from somewhere and that somewhere has been lost. I do. One of my favorite things about the Bible is that the Bible has this way of putting words to what's inside of us that we don't know how to articulate. Um, it's like God's word, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible, if you ever read it, but this is one of the amazing things about it. It has this way of articulating back to you what you're experiencing in a way that you're like, yeah, that's it. I never could put it that way, but that's it. And the Bible says to all of us, yes, you come from somewhere, and that somewhere has been lost. The story of the Bible begins with a home, if you're familiar with it. We've talked about this a lot so far. Um, the Bible teaches us that God is our Father, and in the beginning, it, He created us to be with Him. So He dwelt with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Eden was home. There was a person. There was a place. They were overlapping. It was home. But as you may know, uh, and if only from the John Milton title of his book, Paradise was lost, right? Eden was lost. So Adam and Eve forsook their home when they sinned. They rebelled against God, and they lost their relationship with God, 
the person, and they lost access to the place. And that is why in the Bible, uh, whether or not you've kind of read the Old Testament or New Testament or whatever, one of the enduring themes is of exile. It's a huge, huge theme of being cut off. Huge swaths of the Old Testament are about a group of people journeying to try to get back to somewhere or trying to get to somewhere or being cut off from that place where people and a place overlapped in a home where they're with God. And that's why we write novels about this feeling. That's why we produce television shows called Lost, even though J.J. Abrams might not agree with me. I would want to say that. We feel the ache. We feel that we're from somewhere and that somewhere has been lost. You guys tracking with me? Okay, nobody puts it better than J.R.R. Tolkien. And I have to quote this because it's so good. Here's J.R.R. Tolkien. We all long for Eden and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most human is still soaked with the sense of exile. <laughs> Let me read that one more time. We all long for Eden and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most human is still soaked with the sense of exile. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, gospel means good news, is about coming home. This is my main point today. The good news of Jesus is a homecoming. If you don't remember anything else, I pray that you would walk away from this and think everything about Jesus is about going home. And I have three small points, if you're a note taker, to help understand this. And it's okay if you don't take notes, it's fine. But if you do, here's my first point. Jesus came to bring us home. Um, turn with me in your order of service or in your Bible to John 14, to the gospel passage. Somebody yell out what page it's on. Ten. Ten. Flip to page 10. Uh, for a little context, Jesus is talking to his friends here before he was about to go to his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. So this is kind of a farewell conversation with some of his closest friends. Start with me in verse 1. And this passage should feel to you like the warmest of coziest blankets next to the warmest of fires. Uh, this is one of the most precious comforting text that Jesus has ever said to people. And you can hear him trying to do that, okay? So put yourself in the place of exile and listen to this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Amen? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms if it were not so, I love how he does this. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's so much going on in this passage, which we don't have the time to get into, even though I'd love to. I just want us to see how Jesus is the one who comes from the Father's house, from the person in the place. He comes to bring us home. No one in humanity ever got back by themselves. God came for us. And it's really clear in the Gospel of John that God the Father 
explicitly sends God the Son to come bring us home. So Jesus is telling his friends here, by extension, you and I, hey, my father's house is huge. And if you know the story of the prodigal son, he squanders everything and goes away. It's this narrative again. It's like, just like the dad and the prodigal son, he's ready to forgive you and he loves you and he wants you to come home and I'm here to bring you home. That's Jesus's mission. And I love how he says, I'm preparing a place. So it's like, Jesus is like folding the sheets and lighting the candles and putting up the little shampoos and stuff. He's getting ready for you. So that's my first point. Jesus came for the express purpose to bring us home. But as awesome as that is, I'm sure his disciples were uh, very confused by what Jesus said next. Look at verse four. And you know the way where I'm going. Don't you love that? He's like, I'm, I'm preparing a place for you in God's house and you know how to get there. Now, what would you say if Jesus said that to you? Probably exactly what Thomas says, actually. Look at verse 5. Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about, and I have no clue how to get there. You're talking crazy talk, basically. How can we know the way? Which is a super legit question. And then look at what Jesus says. I hope you get the context of this passage. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a really famous passage. Even if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you might have actually heard this before. But did you know it was actually about directions to a house? Isn't that wild? It's about a journey that Jesus is talking about. A journey to a place with a person. So my second point is this. Jesus is himself the way home. Jesus came to bring us home, point one, point two. Jesus is himself the way. Now, why does Jesus say this? And how can Jesus say this? I think there's a way where Jesus is probably like our guide and he takes us, which is totally true. But I actually think it's deeper than that. So I trust all of you have experienced firsthand or know of someone close to you who's experienced firsthand a family situation where everything blew up so bad that it fragmented and shattered your family. Okay, could have been a vacation, could have been a conversation, could have been a holiday dinner gone wrong. Something happened that was bad, and it meant that the next Thanksgiving was not the same. Might even have meant that the next Thanksgiving, not everybody came back. There was a fracture. And we all know that when this happens, things cannot be ignored. You can't put it under the rug. It's like if I offend my wife, Marissa, and then try to come home and throw the keys on the counter, I'm like, honey, I'm home. And I feel like nothing's wrong. She's like, "Uh uh-uh, get back in the doghouse or make this right. You can't ignore it. You can't solve it with money. Time doesn't solve it. What it takes to solve that in a family, and we all are from a family, so you know what I'm talking about, it takes a family reckoning. It takes a brutal moment of upfront forgiveness. It takes humility to ask repentance, it takes a reckoning. And we also know that these are so hard, sometimes we prefer to not have that moment and let our family just be broken because it's too hard. So sometimes we just, Thanksgiving is never the same, okay? I say this with deep compassion. I understand what this is like, I understand we all do too. It's in that way that the Bible talks about our relationship with God. There's this like cosmic heavenly home where we come from. It's been broken. The Bible talks about it's been ruptured by our sin. Broken the relationship, restricted the access like Adam and Eve. 
So the options were God, for God, were the same as for a family. Never eat Thanksgiving dinner again or have a family reckoning. The good news, again, we, we've talked so far about how the gospel of Jesus isn't like a, a philosophy. It's actual news of something that happened. So I get to proclaim to you today that something happened where God chose to invite us back into the house, back at the dinner table, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. He chose to enter into this cosmic moment of reconciliation, forgiveness, and that is the cross. That's why we have a big cross behind us. The cross is this moment of forgiveness and reconciliation for the whole world. It says in the book of 1 Peter, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Isn't that amazing? So the cross is this moment where Jesus experienced the separation from home that we all deserved. He actually stepped into our exile. Isn't that cool? God comes and he steps into our experience of the ache of exile and the longing for home. He gets it. And then in order to bring us back, the righteous for the unrighteous, the cross is that moment. And uh, again, if you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, it's pretty simple. There's a son who just scorns his dad and squanders everything and goes off. But then he realizes his choices weren't that good and he wants to come home and he feels so much shame. He feels like if I was going to come home, I would have to just reckon with all my deep and utter despondency and shame and guilt. And what happens if you're familiar with the story when he runs back? The dad just loves him and he welcomes him home. It's the same for us. Because of what Jesus did, he experienced our shame. He takes all that. So we come home and we're just welcomed. But we only receive that welcome because all that fallout fell on Jesus himself. He took it willingly. So how can Jesus say that he's the only way? He can say that for a lot of reasons, but a huge one is because he's the only one who's done the thing that helps us to come back and bring the family back together again. You guys tracking with me on that? If you're here today and your heart burns within you because you want to be home, you want to come home, you feel that longing, that exile, you need to know there's nothing else that will satisfy your transcendental homelessness. It sounds super pretentious when I say it, but I hope you're hearing me say it. Nothing else will satisfy that except the cross. There's no other way. So Jesus came to bring us home. He himself is the way home. And my third point is this. Jesus provides for us a home on the way home. Hope you're tracking. It's a lot of homes. Jesus provides for us a home on the way home. So even though Jesus is preparing a place and he himself is the way, he does not leave us to just wait until he, we die or he comes back or whatever. We get to taste home now. So look with me at verse 18. It's on the other side of the page. Again, oh man, this is warm and cozy. Jesus is so comforting here. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you'll see me. Because I live, you will also live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, you and me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And I love this, how the disciples always ask the dumb question that we would have asked. This is really helpful, actually. Uh, Judas, not Iscariot, just in case you think it's Judas Iscariot. I love he gets the, the like, hey. So Judas, not Iscariot, said to him the obvious question, Lord, how in the world is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. What in the world is Jesus talking about? First, Jesus, this whole passage in a big way is talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says when we love him, when we put our faith in him like he's talking about, God fills us with his spirit. And with him making his home in us, God himself, we're never alone. We're not left as orphans. He's always with you. But the Bible is really clear that when the spirit fills you, you are not a house unto yourself. This is really important. The Bible actually says you're a part of a house. So you're like a brick. You're like a window pane. Pick your favorite part of the house. You're a part. And the Bible says that when all of us come together, we make something. We make a house. And that house is the church. Uh, the reading that Johnny read this morning says that we are God's house. Did you catch that? We, all together, are God's house. First Peter, we talked about this passage a lot, talks about how we're living stones that come together to make a spiritual house. So on our journey, the church is the place where you experience home. It is home on the way home. It satisfies both of those longings that you come home to Jesus, you're reconnected to the person, and in the church is where you find your place. It's where you figure out you're not a spare part. You fit in. Today is the Feast of All Saints, which is why there's white. If you've been here the past couple Sundays, there's been green. Now there's white, because it's a feast, and we wear white on feast days, which is super awesome. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's totally cool. That's why we're singing lots of songs about saints. Um, but this feast is when we remember the thousands and the millions of people across the globe and throughout history who have come home to we realize that we're a part of this massive epic family. My uh, parents were just in Malawi, Africa, which they go to all the time, helping out with a church planning movement there. And in Malawi, there are people coming home to Jesus and his church. They're doing the exact same thing. And they're our brothers and sisters. I heard a story this week about how there was a boy who through extremely weird circumstances ended up being a teen and finding out he thought he was an only child and he was an orphan. And he found out that he had a family and parents brothers and sisters, big family and parents. Can you imagine what that would be like? That's what it's like to come home. In the church, you realize that you are not to spare part. You're not alone. You are in this throng of what the Bible calls a great cloud of witnesses. And you realize that they've suffered like you. They've been lost like you. They've messed up like you. They have felt the ache exactly like you did. Could have been in North Africa, South America, wherever it is. They felt it too, but they found light and life in the name of Jesus. And you come into that and you find yourself in this throng and you realize I'm not alone. I'm a part of a big family. 
Isn't that awesome? That's why this feast day is awesome. That's why it's amazing that we're launching on this feast day. And it's then and only then when you find yourself at home with the person in the place that you come home to yourself. Only after those two other things, you don't know yourself by yourself, you know yourself in the church. You know yourself when you're a part of the family. In the church, you're not the center of the world. Nobody can bear that burden. It's like the biggest burden any of us can try to carry. But you're also extremely dignified more than anything else in the world. You're a child of God and you're a part of his church. Amen? The good news of Jesus is about coming home. So Jesus comes to bring us home. He is the way home. And he gives us a home on the way home. Both the Hugo longings find their place. Okay, Christchurch Madison, we are a community coming home. That's our vision. When you cut us deep, that's what we are. And I think what's interesting uh, about this, God, through a lot of different people and lots of prayer and just lots of time, many of you, really specifically, God has given us this language to understand what he's doing right now in this church. And it's this movement home. It's a coming back to the place. And there's a, there's a way that this vision of being a community on a journey, on a movement, all together, is both general and specific. It's general because every church everywhere is called to do this. Um, some of you are from other churches. Your church is called to offer the invitation of Jesus for people to come home. Everybody everywhere through all time has been doing that, okay? So there's nothing unique about us doing this in some ways. But there is a specific way that God has put this on our heart because God calls each body to uniquely carry out the mission of Jesus in a unique way because we're unique people. We're unique parts in a unique place. You guys feel me on that? There's a way that God has done that with us. So if we focus in the microscope a little bit on this church, I think there's a unique way that our generation in 2018 is longing for home. I think there's a unique way our media generation, whatever you want to call it, just right now, doesn't matter what age you are, I think we all feel this ache in a particular way. Uh, there's been a lot of dis words that we've thought about. I felt in my life disconnected, disembodied, disenchanted. We feel the ache in a really strong way, and I think we long for something that is deep as history and high as heaven. Something that's deep and rooted. We feel the Hugo ache in a unique way. And it's in this world that I think God has called us to be a community coming home. So we want to see spiritual orphans return and meet the Father. We want to see people come home and find out that they have a place that they maybe could think of but never knew what place that was. And they find out this must be the place. So maybe you grew up Catholic. Maybe you grew up evangelical. Maybe you grew up neither, and both the words Catholic and evangelical terrify you. Whatever the situation, we're thrilled you're here. Our community is from a lot of different backgrounds and places, and we are all coming home to something. That's why God has given us all this language uh, of reintroduction. It's almost like God is calling us to, as a community, go back but not regress it's kind of a hard thing to put into words, but it's this unique homecoming where we're returning to Jesus and to the church. 
And at times, this kind of idea of a reintroduction has been hard for me to explain, even though I've known it and I've felt it. Uh, but God has blessed us by giving, basically, uh, one of the greatest English poets of all time has exactly put into words what we feel called to in one of the greatest poems of the 20th century. So uh, I don't mean to be pretentious by talking about poetry. If you hate poetry, it's totally okay. Uh, but T.S. Eliot was an amazing poet. He was an Anglican, and his magnum opus, some would say, is this, this book of poetry called The Four Quartets. Flip with me in your, in your, you've heard me quote the first lines of this many times. I just want to read this. And if you don't care anything about poetry, I want you to hear everything that we're talking about. This longing for Eden, this idea of coming back to something but not regressing. I'm just going to read this, and I just want to let the beauty of this poetry do its work on us. Sound good? Page three. It's on page three. We have a good habit of making sure everybody knows pages in our church. With the drawing of this love and the voice of this calling, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Through the unknown, unremembered gate, when the last of earth left to discover is that which was the beginning, at the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall and the children in the apple tree, not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard, in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Quick now, here, now, always. A condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. And all shall be well, all manner of thing shall be well. When the tongues of flame are enfolded, into the crown knot of fire, and the fire and the rose are one. Just take that with you and meditate on it, memorize it. Do you hear it though in there, everything we're talking about? We come from somewhere and that somewhere has been lost and we are a community coming home because the gospel is about coming home. And we are a community hearing that invitation and saying, yeah, I wanna go back. We believe God has called us to this uniquely in Madison in this exact time and this exact place so that many people in Madison can arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Sound good? It's our first birthday in some ways today. Uh, this is kind of a, we've been worshiping for a while. I'll talk more about our, our journey, uh, hopefully in a little bit. But on the Feast of All Saints is one of the days that we traditionally do baptisms. And we're not doing any baptisms today, but we are renewing our baptismal vows, which is something that Anglican churches do sometimes. So sometimes we'll say the creed, uh, but today we're going to say it in a unique way where we ask questions and answers. And I want you guys to know when you say these words, I know for a fact there are other churches in the Midwest who will be saying them probably right now because their service time is at 10 as well. So there'll be people in the Midwest saying these things. And I know there will be people around the globe saying these words. And I know that these words are super, super, super old. So people have said these words throughout the centuries. So we're going we're gonna to have this amazing point where we're going to stand up. And I'm going to ask you these questions. And on our first birthday, 
we get to be a people that say, yeah, we want to go home too. And I want you to imagine just a ginormous throng, a crowd behind you with wind at your back, cheering you on to say these words and confess the same thing that all the saints have said before us. Sound good? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word to us. And Jesus, oh Lord, help us to come home. And we pray, just like uh, the Isaiah passage said, that Susan read, that many who have not yet been gathered would be gathered. Lord, fill us with this desire to come home and to know you and draw us with the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.